Well, today we're continuing a series that we've been in uh, for the last many weeks called Sent um, Through the Storm. Now, for those of you who are brand new, this is actually the fifth and the final mini-series in a much longer series that we've been in for over a year called Sent, which is a study of one of the most important books in the Bible, the New Testament, called the book of Acts. And the book of Acts kind of documents and describes the movement of Jesus from, the, from right to the resurrection of Jesus and how the message of Jesus moved rapidly over the next 30 years across the Roman Empire. In fact, today we actually come to the last message in this series where, where the gospel now finally makes it all the way to Rome. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, I have you open up with me to, to Acts chapter 28. Let me set it up. Last week, what we've, what we've seen this fifth and final series is one of the key, key players uh, in the early church, one of the key leaders, is a man named the Apostle Paul. And so we've seen as he, uh, he has been arrested in Jerusalem on false charges, uh, and then he was transferred to the capital of the Roman province of Judea, where Jerusalem is, at Caesarea. He was there in prison for two years, not because he was guilty, but for kind of political reasons. Finally, he is forced to appeal his case to Rome. And so last week we watched as he embarks on a ship, a long, dangerous voyage to Rome. And sure enough, they hit a major hurricane, on, and, and they're in this for two weeks. And they end up being shipwrecked at an unknown island. And so when we left them last week, they had 276 members of the ship kind of washing up on the shore like drowned rats after two weeks in a hurricane uh, not knowing where they are or if this is a dangerous island or it's a welcoming island. We, we left them there kind of kissing the beach. And so today we're picking it up in chapter 28. So there in your note sheet you see a section called Rome, the final journey. And so um, we're going to pick it up in chapter 28 and we're going to wrap up this whole series. So here we go. So once safely ashore, we found out that with the island we had called, uh, we had uh, we landed on was called Malta, all right? So now today, you're going to need your map. So inside your uh, program, you see a map, and between numbers six and seven, you'll see a small little island of Malta. Do you see that there? You, you find it? Okay, good, three of you. That's awesome. So uh, the rest of you, when you wake up, like in about 10 minutes, look for it on the lower left, and it will be there when the alarm clock comes on your phone. All right, so... Uh, so anyway, so they land on this little island, and so it turns out, uh, now, now remember, you know, you've all seen movies like this, you know, you know the natives are coming out, like, is this going to kill us or what? But it turns out in verse 2 that they, they showed us unusual kindness, and so they start building a fire for us and welcoming us because it's still rainy and cold. They've been in this, this storm for the last two weeks. It's still the tail end of this thing. <coughs> so in verse 3, Paul's jumping in to help, and so he, he picks up a pile of brushwood, and he, he starts to put it on the fire, you know, get the thing roaring. And a viper, uh, who may have looked like a twig, by the way, um, what, you know, the kind of, kind of a, you know, in the storm, just kind of, you know, how, how reptiles get really cold, you know, they just kind of get stiff. He's, he's in the midst of this, and uh, he's driven out now by the heat, and he fastens on Paul's hand. Now, this is, as we're going to find out, a deadly viper. And so the islanders, who are very superstitious, kind of worshiping pagan gods, when they see this, they're going to freak out. They've already figured out Paul's a prisoner. Uh, he's an important prisoner. He's being transferred to Rome for trial. Um, and so when they see this viper, this deadly viper fastened on, they're kind of going to put two and two together. This guy must be a serious criminal. He's escaped shipwreck, uh, but now the gods are after him with this viper. But what's crazy is that Paul's just going to shake it off, and now they're going to do a switch. 
So this was like back in Acts 14. You may remember when Paul was in the backwater village of Lystra, and uh, he had healed a man uh, that was, couldn't walk, and they began to worship him like a god. You may remember. It's a very similar situation. And so here's, here we go. So, um, so after this viper fastens himself, in verse 4, when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for although he escaped the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. Um, but Paul just shakes the snake off in the fire and suffers no ill effects. And so the people now, they expect him to swell up and suddenly fall dead. They're just kind of like, oh, let's watch this. It's going to be good. <laughs> but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing happen to him, they changed their minds. They said, he's a god. Now, it's kind of funny because at this point, I'm sure there is a lot more to the story. I'm sure that, it, it, that Paul is probably going to go use this as an opportunity to share Jesus just like back in Lystra in Acts 14 and talk about, hey, you need to turn away from these false gods, these pagan gods, and, and worship the one true God who's the creator. The funny thing is Luke is running out of scroll. <laughs> and as we go through this final, and remember, scrolls were really expensive in ancient time, and you almost get the feeling he's like, I've got to fin- wrap this story up, but I've only got this far to go. And we're going to see today, he is going to continue to skip over opportunities. Normally, he would tell us more as we've gone through, but he's just going to kind of skip over this. And so he says, uh, anyway, he doesn't even comment on that. They just thought he was a god. Okay, good. Let's move on. So in verse 7, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, who was the chief official, the Roman official on the island. So he welcomes us into his home. He shows his generous hospitality for three days. Now, his father was sick in bed. He's suffering with a fever and dysentery, and Paul went in to see him. Now, interesting. Remember today, as we wrap up this series in Acts, it's important for us to remember where we began this series, that Acts is volume two of a two-volume set designed to be read together. Remember that? Luke, the Gospel of Luke, volume one, starts with the birth of Jesus in the backwaters of Bethlehem, where the story starts. And we end in the capital of the empire in Rome. We are going today from Bethlehem to Rome. And in volume one, remember Luke always assumed we were familiar. At the start of Jesus' ministry, one of the very first miracles he does is uh, very early on, he meets the apostle Peter and calls him to follow him. And he goes that day to Peter's house in Capernaum. And when he's there, Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever and Jesus lays hands on her. And she is healed. And so here we're going to see this last miracle in Acts kind of starts off with one of the first miracles in Luke, a very similar story. And so what happens is, uh, in, um, so he's sick in bed, and Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, he placed his hands on him, and, and so Jesus is still alive and well, healing people. And so he, he heals him. So when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured and I'm, again, once again, I'm sure there's way more to this story. Paul's got to be preaching and so on, but Luke's yet, let's keep it moving here. I got to wrap this thing up. So they honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Now, what we're seeing, we're not seeing the chronology here. So remember, last week we saw Paul and the ship that had, remember, they had originally uh, uh, got on this Alexandrian grain ship. Remember, they had sailed after the Feast of a Day of Atonement in early October. Remember last week? So 
So it may have been two weeks in a storm. So when they were shipwrecked, they're either late October or early November of 59 A.D. When they wash up on shore, remember that after November 11th in the ancient world, you do not sail under any conditions. And so because it's too dangerous. So they've actually stayed on this island, as we'll see now, three months. And so they're going to be restocking up, getting ready to sail uh, in February. So it's going to be February of 60 now, as we'll see. And so it's as early as possible, they're, they're getting on a new ship. This ship is also from Alexandria. Remember, the last ship that went down was from Alexandria in Egypt. Remember, they're grain ships that go back and forth, large cargo ships. So they're finding a new ship, and they're going to take off. So it's probably February of 60 AD, something like that. So uh, in verse 11, he lets us in after three months. See, so we're jumping ahead three months in time. We put out to sea in a ship that had wintered on, on the island and spent the winter there. And it was an Alexandrian ship. And remember, Luke's writing this as a firsthand report. It has a figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. And so firsthand memory that they had these gods on the front of their ship. These were two gods that were the sons of Jupiter or Zeus. And they were the patron gods of navigators. And so uh, we uh, we put in at Syracuse. So get your map out now. So we're going from Malta. You'll see going to Syracuse. We stay there three days. And then from there, we set sail, and we arrived at Regia. You see that on your map. And then the next day, a south wind came up, and the following day, we reached Puteoli, uh, which was a major southern port in Italy where grain ships would unload their cargo. And so we found some brothers and sisters, some Christ followers, who invited us to spend a week with them. So apparently, this Roman centurion who is overseeing Paul, has some sort of business there or whatever, and so they're going to stay for a week. But what's interesting is that Paul and Luke and Aristarchus, remember his team, they find some brothers and sisters. So what we're finding out is unlike the rest of Acts, wherever Paul would travel, there were no Jesus followers. He was going into uncharted territory. Here in Italy, the gospel has already got And so we don't know historically how the gospel got from Jerusalem to Italy. Uh, Back in Acts chapter 2, you may remember this, on the day of Pentecost, there were visitors from the Jewish world who'd come for the day of Pentecost and from all these different nations, and we were specifically told there were visitors from Rome. So there may have been people that came to Christ there and went back to Rome, but one way or another, all roads lead to Rome. And so as the message of Jesus is spreading, Luke is just giving us one account other Christ followers have made it. So what we're going to see today is that there are followers of Jesus in Italy. There are followers of Jesus in Rome. In fact, we know that Paul wrote a famous letter to the church at Rome. He'd never been there, but he had written a letter about three years before from Corinth, when he was in Corinth, and we call that letter the letter to the? Very good. Welcome. You're awake now. That's awesome. So um, let's get all the rest of you. It's welcome. That was, that was good. Um, so, yeah, so... Um, so Paul is famous in the church of Rome. They've gotten this letter from the same Paul, but they've never met him. He's never been there. And I want you to ma- imagine how big a deal this is for Paul to go to Rome. It's probably hard for us to understand, but Rome was the mythological city of the ancient world. It was considered, the, they called it the eternal city. This is the city of, that was, uh, you know, written up in the Aeneid. Uh, it was written up, you know, by, by Virgil, that this kind of uh, mythic uh, proportions, this incredible city of Rome where all roads lead. 
And Paul had grown up in the Roman Empire, but he had never been to Rome. And he had felt for years God was calling him to Rome, as we've seen this series. And now he's finally almost there. And what's really interesting is that what's going to happen is that the Christ followers in Rome are hearing this apostle is coming, and they're so excited that they're going to travel 30 or 40 miles to meet him like you would meet a conquering general coming back from a big war. And they're going to they're come to the group, and it's going to be very encouraging to him. So here we go. So um, they spend a week there uh, at uh, Puteoli, and then in verse 14, they, we found some uh, brothers and sisters invite us to spend a week with them, we, so we came to Rome. And so the brothers and sisters there had heard we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius. Now, on your maps, it says the Appi Forum. Do you see that? And then right next to it, it says the Three Taverns. Yeah, they had some awesome microbreweries there. And uh, anyway, um, and so to meet us. So at the sight of these people, they've come 30 or 40 miles now from south from Rome. Paul thanked God and he was encouraged. I mean, after all he's gone through, think through all the journeys we've been studying, all he's gone through, the arrest in Jerusalem, the two years in prison, all the trials, being on the ship, almost shipwrecked, thinks he's going to die, washes up on Malta, bit by a snake, three months after all this, he's finally coming to Rome. And he's just really excited by the encouragement of this. And so when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So it's basically under house arrest. They didn't have the ankle bracelets yet, so they would just use a soldier. Anyway, so in verse 17, three days later, he calls together the local Jewish leaders. So Paul wants to be very proactive. He has come as a prisoner, accused by his own people of being anti-Israel, anti-law, anti-temple. He wants to get to the Jewish leaders and plead his case that he's not in this as soon as possible. In the ancient world, there was a very tight network between Jewish communities. So, for example, the Jewish community in Rome would be very networked with the Jewish community in Jerusalem, especially where the high priest in the temple is. That's where the center of your religion was. And so uh, Paul wants to get with these people and share his story um, and, and to begin to build relationships so he can do ministry in Rome. And so uh, three days later, he calls together the local Jewish leaders. And when they assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem. You may have heard of that. And I was handed over to the Romans. Now, the Romans examined me and they wanted to release me because I had not done, I was not guilty of any crime deserving death, you know, and, but he says the Jews, the, and the leaders, they objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar, and I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. Now, this is really interesting. What's he talking about? I, I'm not coming to bring a charge against my own people. Very interesting. About 10 years before this, and some of you will remember this, back in Acts chapter 18, we met a Jewish couple there named Priscilla and Aquila. Do you remember them? And what we're told is that they had recently been expelled from Rome with all other Jews by the Emperor Claudius. And if you remember that event, from secular history, we know the reason they were expelled was because there were riots and conflicts over a Jewish leader named Crestus. And what we believe was probably happening, there were riots, uh, conflicts in, among the Jewish community about Christus, about Christ. 
And the Roman emperor just said, I'm just sick of all this unrest. I'm kicking you all out of Rome. Well, now we're about 10 years later, 11 years later, and there is a new emperor who has rescinded that order. The new emperor is the emperor Nero. And he's rescinded that order of Claudius, and so Jews have been allowed in the last 10 years to immigrate back. There's a Jewish community, but the last thing they want is some sort of turmoil in the Jewish community that could cause them to be kicked out again. And so they don't really know what Paul's coming for, but Paul wants to assure them, I have nothing against our nation. I'm not bringing any charge against our nation. And so um, he, says the, uh, he says, the reason I'm here, verse 20, is I've asked to see you and to talk to you is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. So as he's there, they're in his home now, under house arrest, he's got chains on. He says, it's not because of something I have against Israel. It's about the hope of Israel. Now, I want to do just a quick sidebar here real quickly before we move on, because this is very important today. Remember that in his trials that have led to Rome, he has constantly made the issue of his trial what he calls the hope of Israel. And remember, if you've been here, you remember this, that the issue is this, that Paul's claim in his message is that the promise that God has made to the promise to, the, to his people that one day from the line of Abraham and through the line of David, a great king would come who would bring in the kingdom of God as opposed to the kingdom of men, that he would turn all wrongs to right. You know, the trees of the field would clap their hands, the mountains would sink, that all of creation would be restored, new heavens and a new earth. That that kingdom, those promises, has been launched by Jesus of Nazareth. And that by his death and resurrection, he is not only initiating that new kingdom, but that his resurrection is the first step in the resurrection of all creation. His message is, God has acted in history through Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah, the promised king. And by coming under his leadership, you become part of that kingdom that's going to come in full force when he is revealed in the future. That is the hope of Israel. Remember that? And it's going to become very important today. And so he says, that's why I'm in chains, because of my claims about the hope of Israel. And so they replied, kind of somewhat surprisingly, honest, honestly, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you. None of our people who have come from there, has reported or said anything bad about you. So this is interesting. Because if you've been here in this series, you know that this was a big deal back in Jerusalem. Paul's arrest was a big deal. Um, and so it's interesting that they haven't heard word of this. But what may be happening is that it's just a logistical issue. Remember when Paul was, got on his first grain ship, it was late September, early October. It was the shoulder season when most people don't sail. And then remember, he crashed shipwrecked on Malta, but he was already close to Rome. And as early as the season opened up, the sailing season opened up, he was on a new ship. So it's very likely he just beat them there. He beat the accusers there. But for whatever reason, they haven't heard about his case, and that's to his advantage. And because now he can share without prejudice. But it's interesting what they say, because it says, um, we haven't heard anything uh, about you. He says, but in verse 22, we would love to hear what your views are because we know that, that people everywhere are talking against this sect. So we don't really know a lot about this way, about Jesus, but we do know that it's got a bad rep in all of our Jewish communities. 
So we'd love to hear it firsthand. So they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day, and they came in even larger numbers. So these are the leaders of the community to the place where he was staying. Remember, he's under house arrest. So he witnessed to them from morning till evening. So this is like an all-day seminar with the Apostle Paul. Uh, there's a lot of q and I'm going, I think this is very rabbinical type style. So it's not just going to be a lecture. He's going to be teaching. There's going to be Q&A going on, discussion. And uh, notice what he's teaching, how, how Luke summarizes his message. He says, he witnessed to them from morning until evening, um, explaining about what? Let's say it again. The, the, what? The kingdom, the kingdom of God. Please underline that or remember that. Paul, uh, Luke summarizes the whole message of Paul as teaching about the kingdom of God, the, pro- the hope of Israel. There's a time and a place when God's kingdom will break into human history, this hope of Israel, right? And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus, in other words, that he was the king of this kingdom. And in verse 24, some were convinced by what he said, others would not believe. And this is what we've seen all through Acts. So when Paul is in Jewish synagogue sharing, there are always some who believe, usually most don't. That seems to be the case again. And they disagreed among, uh, they disagreed among themselves. Now, quick sidebar here. So here's what's going to happen. So all day long, he's teaching, arguing, discussing, laying out. Some are buying in. Some are not. He senses this. At the end of the day, Paul is going to issue a very strong challenge and a very strong warning. And the warning is going to come from a very famous passage in the Old Testament from Isaiah 6. It's a very famous passage. It's a passage that Jesus quoted in all four Gospels. Paul is going to quote it now. Some of you will be familiar with this passage. It was the passage when God first called the prophet Isaiah to be a prophet. It's a passage where Isaiah has this vision of the Lord high and lifted up in the temple. And it says the train of his robe filled the temple. Remember that? And in this, in this thing, the Lord asks the question, who will go to the nation of Israel? Who will speak for us? And Isaiah said, I will go send me. Do you remember that? And in that passage, God says, okay, I'm going to send you, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send you to the nation, but they are not going to be willing to listen. And God says, what's going to happen is that you're going to speak, they're going to reject you. And in fact, the very message that could save them and heal them is going to lead to their condemnation and destruction because they reject it. It's a great example. It's one of the best examples in all the Bible of this very important principle that I often talk to you about. I often say it like this. Of all the spiritual principles of spiritual growth in life, if I only had one, it might be this one. I call it the dimmer switch principle. And it goes like this. Some of you are not familiar with this, but it goes like this, is that when God shows up and reveals truth in our life, it's like a light's going on. And if we respond to that truth, that new light, and we move towards that truth, and we follow that truth, as we move closer to the light, it gets brighter and brighter. It's like a dimmer switch is getting turned up. And we see not only the next step to take, but the next step to take. And as we listen and follow, our life gets brighter and brighter. But on the opposite side, when the light comes on, if we don't like the light, because it reveals a truth about us we don't want to see, a truth about God we don't want to see, or implications for change that we don't want to hear, 
what we tend to do is we turn away from the light. I don't want to see that. And we start walking away. Well, as you walk away from the light, what happens? It gets darker. And if you walk away long enough, you lose the light you originally had. And so the Bible describes this like a callousing of a heart. So, for example, if you've ever had a scar, like I have certain large scars on my body. If you have a scar on your body, you know it loses sensitivity. Like you, you cannot feel it anymore in that area. And, and so what God says, is this is what happens spiritually. When God reveals truth to you, maybe it's about your marriage, maybe it's about your kids, it's about your finances. You don't like that truth because what it requires, you turn away, you walk away, you not only don't follow the truth, you lose the capacity to hear the truth. There becomes a callous on your heart, and the very truth that was meant to save you now becomes a truth that condemns you. Jesus talks about this in John 3. He says, this is the judge. He said, I did not come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. But he said, this is the condemnation that men love the darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And so this is what happened in Isaiah's day. And Paul's going to apply it to these Jews. He says, it's happening all over again. That God has sent this message of truth in Jesus and you don't like it. You're turning away and you're walking away. And so your heart's going to become callous. You're going to lose capacity. And this truth that has the ability to save you is going to destroy you. And so in verse 25, 24 says, some were convinced, others not. And verse 25, it says, they disagreed among themselves and they began to leave. So they're like, yeah, we're out of here. After Paul had made this statement, what statement? The Isaiah 6 statement. He said, the Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors, this Isaiah 6, when he spoke, when he said through the Isaiah the prophets, this is a quote from Isaiah 6, God said to Isaiah, go to this people and say, you will be hearing, but never understanding. Why? Because they're not open to the truth. And when you are not open to the truth, you come to a place where you hear it, but you don't understand it. You've lost the capacity. He said, you'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. He says, for this people's heart has become, what? Calloused. And they, they hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. Remember I said two weeks ago about repentance? Turn, and I would what? Tell them. So God says, I want to heal them. I want to heal your marriage. I want to heal your heart. I want to change you. I'm sending you truth, but if you don't move towards the truth, even when it's hard, you will turn away. Your heart gets hard, and the very truth that was sent to save you will now condemn you because you've chosen the dark. And so Paul says something very significant at this point, and it's really interesting how Paul frames this up. I mean, Luke frames this up. If you were here back in Acts 13 when Paul gave his first message, he, he and they went out in their first mission, they gave his very first message that Luke records for us in Antioch of Pisidia in the synagogue. He shared his very first message to the Jewish people, and most of them rejected. And at that very first message, Paul says, okay, if you reject it, that I'm going to the Gentiles. And now in his very last message in Acts, Luke is putting a bookend, this happens again. 
And so he says in verse 28, Therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will, what? Listen. You are not listening. Your heart's becoming callous. They will listen and follow. And so then Luke says for the next two years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, you know, house arrest. He welcomed all, both Jews and Gentiles, who came to see him, and he proclaimed to them the what? Notice, underline the how do you summarize the whole message of Jesus? It's about the kingdom of God. And he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that threefold name title. Very unusual in Acts. Every word important. The Lord. The message of Jesus that started in the backwaters of Bethlehem has now reached the center of the Roman Empire. And the message is, Caesar is not Lord. There is a new Lord. It's Jesus is Lord. Back in Acts chapter 2, or Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascended into heaven, we talked about this. That that's not just a kind of an interesting way to leave planet Earth. That when he ascended into heaven, that was a fulfillment of Psalm chapter 2, that he ascended to the right hand of God. He sat down at the power, and he became the leader of all creation. So is Jesus leader over uh, Russia today? Yes. Is Jesus over all prime ministers and presidents today? Yes. Is he leader over Sudan today? Yes. So what we're told in the Bible is he has not yet taken his power and brought it to the kingdom in power to reign, but Jesus is the highest name and he is over all creation. One of us, a human being, has now been raised up to be the rightful ruler of creation, what you and I were designed to be in the garden, that we would rule, that our representative is ruling, he's king, and he is Lord. And this is the message of Acts, that Jesus Christ is Lord. So he's the Lord Emperor, he is Jesus of Nazareth, the real human being, and he is the Christ, remember, which is the Greek word for Messiah, Mashiach in, in Hebrew, the anointed one, the great king who is promised. And so Luke ends by saying that, that Paul is sharing this message of the kingdom of God, the message of Jesus, and it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says he's sharing it boldly and without hindrance. Was that's actually a legal term in the Greek, that he had perfect freedom there in this house. He was under arrest, but he's able to share the full message of Jesus the next few years. Now, it's kind of a funny place to end the story, Right? Because aren't you wondering, like, okay, so what happens next? Does he go to trial? Is he killed? Is he executed? And so scholars really debate, like, why did Luke end it here? Why did he end the story here? And there's a lot of different theories, and we don't really know. I think the best theory is, the one I like, is this is as far as the story has gotten. I think chances are that Luke wrote Acts while, during these two years. That his, his case has not yet got to the Supreme Court. They're waiting for it to get there. And, uh, and so he's writing this before, and so we, he doesn't know what's going to happen yet. But in a sense, it's not important because this story of Acts is really not about Paul. The story is about Jesus and how this birth of this baby in the backwaters of Bethlehem that starts in volume one, chapter one, how it moves from the backwaters of Bethlehem to the center of Jewish power in Jerusalem at the start of Acts to the center of the Roman Empire, which is the center of the ancient world from which it will go out to the entire world. 
And so he wraps it up there and saying, hey, the message of Jesus that we've seen expanding and growing, it ends up being pro- proclaimed in the center of the Roman Empire boldly and without hindrance. And from there, it's going to reach even to us today. Amen? All right, so, so we wrap up. Uh, by the way, uh, according to church history um, and, and church tradition, it would appear that Paul was released here, that how, whether he got to Caesar or whether his case was kicked out of court, we don't know. But it would appear he did not, was not executed at this point because the rest of the New Testament, he writes letters later on after he's out, like the uh, pastoral epistles, Timothy, Titus, and so on. Uh, and he had further ministry, but according to church history tradition, he was arrested by Nero later on and beheaded in Rome in the mid-60s, so about four or five years after this ends here, a couple, two or three years after the final thing in Acts, right? So, so that's the end of uh, kind of Paul's story. Now, what I want to do today as we wrap up this series, as we come to the end, and we've been in it for now for 15 months, right? I counted up, I think this is the 45th message. This may be the longest, <laughs> longest series I've ever done in my life. So I'm about, I'm ready to die and be with Jesus now. But uh, it has been amazing. God has been with us in this series, has he not? Amen. Like week after week, God has been here. And, and, and I know you've experienced that, but for me, as the primary teacher of this, you know, that I, I know it often looks like easy to just get up here and teach, right? But behind the scenes, there's a wrestling that goes on. Behind there's a scenes, there's this thing of, God, what do you want to say? And it's just always amazing to me. I'm always amazed as you are that week after week, God shows up in amazing ways and unpacks his word. And it's been such an incredible journey. So today what we want to do is put a bow on this package. We want to take it with us. We want to say, Jesus, what do you want us to learn as a church and as people from this series that we would take with us for the rest of our lives, that our lives would never be the same, that we would not miss the message. And I want to highlight two final principles, not necessarily new, but just kind of recap where we've been, and then uh, two final questions. And so here we go. There in your note sheet, you have a section that is called Sent the Final Principles. And the first one, this is what we, the first one starts like this. Uh, Jesus calls us to a life on mission. I want us to take this with us as we go in this series that what we've seen is actually that when a man or a woman comes to Jesus, God's vision for our life is not simply we come to Christ, forgiven for our sins, and then we wait till heaven, we go to be to heaven, we die. I will talk more about that later and why that's not the message. But that God's vision is so much bigger that when we come to Jesus, that we each have a calling, a unique calling on our life to be part of this mission to share the message of Jesus that's ever expanding until Jesus comes back again. And we've seen this in Acts because uh, in the very first chapter, you may remember that the way Acts starts off in chapter one is the disciples after the resurrection, they pulled Jesus aside and said, is it at this time that you are going to restore the kingdom of God? Remember that language? The kingdom of God to Israel. Is it this time that the promised kingdom that we're, this whole story is about that God is gonna bring his kingdom. Messiah has now come, he's died, he's resurrected. Is it time for the kingdom to come and all creation be restored? And Jesus said, that is not for you to know. He said, that is above your pay grade. He says, but this is what you need to know. And I put it there on your note sheet. He said, but you will receive what? Power. He says, what you need to know, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, we watch Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit falls on these first believers who have been hiding a month and a half before in an upstairs room, afraid of the Jewish authorities, and they are transformed by the power of the Spirit. And we watch the Holy Spirit lead them step by step 
uh, to share the message of Jesus all the way from Jerusalem to Rome in 30 years, the most powerful message and movement the earth has ever seen. This continuing on to this day, this now moved on to every continent in creation. The movement of Jesus is the first truly global message in all of, in all of human history. And we've watched the Holy Spirit empower them, and we've watched him move from Jerusalem where it started, that amazing first start, all the conversions, the power that was there, and then because of persecution in chapter 8, how it spread out to the regions around Judea and Samaria, and then starting with chapter 13, especially the the Apostle Paul, how it's now gone all the way through the Roman world, and, and today we reach Rome itself. And this is exactly, you may remember that very first week I said, that this verse is like an outline of the story of Acts. So notice what he says, that power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses of of the resurrection, my life, death, and resurrection in Jerusalem. That's where it's going to start. And then it's going to go out to Judea and Samaria and then just go to the ends of the earth. And so that's what we've seen, that that the movement of Jesus is never static. It's always expanding. And we become a follower of Jesus. We become a part of that. Now, That very first week that we were together, I talked to you about a very important passage in John 17. It was the night that Jesus was arrested. That night he was praying. His disciples uh, got to listen in. And in chapter 17, this is what he said. They're in your note sheet. He says, Father, I am coming to you now. In other words, I'm leaving this world. And my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Catch that. He says, my prayer, God, is not that you, I'm not asking for 12 extra train tickets for them, or make it 11, right? Uh, we'll leave one guy here. Uh, is, I, is that I'm, I'm not asking for that. What I'm asking is you protect them from the evil one. What's he telling us? He's telling us this is a dangerous mission we've been called on, that not everyone's going to like the message. We've talked up a lot about that in this series, that the, the price tag for following Jesus in our culture is going up. And he said, I understand it's a dangerous mission. So, Father, would you protect them as they go? But notice this. He said, as you sent me in the world, I have sent them. You know, in the last few years, in the Olympics, last couple of Olympics, that in, in general, that our runners uh, in the Summer Olympics have had a hard time with relay races. Um, we have some of the fastest runners in the world, but typically, in both men and women, but typically we don't do real well. And the reason is not because we're not fast, is we can't seem to get this handoff thing. We keep dropping the baton. And what Jesus is saying is, I started this race, and I'm coming back, but I'm handing the baton to my people. As the Father sent me, I'm sending them. That's where this mess, the whole title for this series, Sent, came from. That when a man or woman comes to Jesus, we are not, we don't get called to Jesus just so we can be forgiven of our sins and just so we can receive the power of the Holy Spirit to be transformed, to be like Him, and have the power to live a whole new life, the life of the coming age here and now. We don't come to Jesus just so we can be part of this new amazing community of love and connection, which is a a picture of the greater community we'll one day be a part of when he comes back and rule with him forever. All those things are true, but that's not the whole thing. The, The reason we're here is not just to be forgiven 
not just to be transformed, not just to be empowered, not just to be part of an incredible community, but that we would be a sent people. And that each of us has been called before creation began, it says in Ephesians, and uniquely gifted by His Spirit. That we have a calling on our lives to help share the message of Jesus that He started with those who don't know, and to use our time, our gifts, and our resources to help advance His cause. And we need to take that message with us. That's why we're here, Rocky Peak. We don't gather here on weekends or in our life groups simply to get stronger, simply to get encouraged, simply to love one another. It's all of that, but it's so we can go on mission. We do not exist for ourselves. We exist for those who don't know. And that's why we come on Christmas Eve Yes, it's for us, but it's even more than for us. It's for those who don't know him. And that's why we want to be willing to give up our seat or give tickets to to guests who didn't know they needed a ticket or be nice in the parking lot or whatever it is because we don't exist for ourselves. We exist for those who don't know. As the Father sent me, so I send you. You see, that is the message of Acts. And it goes to the core of our identity. Number two, the second message, don't you like this, how my voice is changing? It's like it's going to be, by the end, I'm going to be, oh, right. 11 o'clock service, we're going to be, yeah, we, we drive your pastor. He's like, he's in a falsetto now. All right, so number two, uh, the message of Jesus is the message of the kingdom. Now, this is really interesting. If I were to ask you, what is the message of Jesus? If I were to ask you, hey, if you're sharing the gospel with someone, what would you tell them? And we've talked about this a couple times before next. But I think for many of us, based on the training we've received or what our experience is, we'd say, well, the gospel of Jesus, the message is that we're all sinners, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and so we need to uh, be forgiven. And so if you accept Jesus, you can be forgiven for your sins and ask him into your life and then go to heaven when you die. We say that's the message of Jesus. The interesting thing, if you study Jesus, he never said anything like that. And it's not so much, I want you to be clear on this and hear me clearly, it's not so much that message is wrong is it's woefully inadequate. It's like a stick figure compared to a 3D person. It's not something that's wrong. And so the message of Jesus is so much bigger. And the message of Jesus is the message of the kingdom. So what is that message? That message is that we are a world in rebellion. We're a fallen world. That God creates, we fell in rebellion. And that God began a process to restore and heal, catch this, all of creation. And so through Abraham, he began to make a promise that through your line, one will come through which I will bless the whole world. And then through the prophet David, he said, one day a great king will come who will rule forever. And through the prophet Daniel and others, he began to prophesy that one day a great kingdom would come. It's not the kingdom of man, it's a kingdom of God. And so in the Bible, we see these kingdoms of man, like Daniel in his vision had in chapter 7 of these coming kingdoms of man 
there would be a kingdom of Babylon, and then there'd be a kingdom of Persia. There would be a kingdom of Greece with Alexander the Great. And there would be a kingdom of Syria. And there would be a kingdom of Rome. And these are all kingdoms of men. The United States is the most powerful empire in the history of the world. There's a kingdom of the United States. There's a, there's a kingdom of Spain at one time. There's a kingdom of Portugal at one time. Of the Netherlands at one time. There's been different kingdoms. But they're all kingdoms of men. And the characteristics of kingdoms of man, they're kingdoms usually of oppression, of power, of the rich over the poor, of injustice. This is the kingdoms of this earth are the kingdoms of man. But God promised that one day he would break into time and space and he would bring his kingdom and it would be a kingdom of justice and righteousness and he would destroy those who refused to be changed, the evil, and he would bring his people back and he would restore them so we could live as kingdom people. And that God would break in and his Messiah would come. And through his life, death, and resurrection, that those who would receive him would be able to be forgiven and changed so we would not have to be destroyed with the rest of evil. And that we could rule with him forever. And so this is this kingdom story that Paul has been telling throughout this hope of Israel. And so what we've been learning all through Acts is this is the story we become a part of when we become a follower of Jesus. It's not just that your sins are forgiven and you go to heaven when you die. No, the message is you come under the leadership of the, two, the true king of Lord Jesus Christ of all creation. You're not only forgiven, you're restored. You receive the gift of his spirit. You're empowered to join him in this kingdom work of bringing his kingdom wherever we go, in his family, in our workplace, to bring the kingdom of righteousness and truth wherever we go, here and now, to make a difference, here and now, to bring the kingdom of God here and now, until the king comes back and restores all of creation to where the mountains sing the praises of God and the trees of the field clap their hands and the knowledge of the Lord Yahweh covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. And this is the movement that we've called in, that men and women, we are called to be part of the kingdom. It's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's why he taught us to pray every day that your kingdom would come and your will would be done, that we would be kingdom people. It's why we do initiatives for the poor. It's why we do all serves. It's why we're out in the community. It's why we share the message of Jesus because we are to be a force of kingdom goodness wherever we go. And that is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Yes, you're forgiven. Yes, you're restored. Yes, you become this community, but you become part of this kingdom of movement of Jesus that brings righteousness and joy and peace wherever we go. And so this is the message Jesus brought. You know, remember Luke and Acts, they work together, volume one, volume two. So how does Luke start? How does, Jesus describe, how does Luke describe the message of Jesus? Well, look there on your note sheet. In Luke chapter four, this is where he starts his message. Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the what? The kingdom of God to the other towns also because this is why I was sent. And he says, the Father has sent me, so I send you. And look how the message, it starts in Luke 4, how it ends today in volume 2, in chapter 28, there in your note sheet. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them, what? The kingdom 
of God. And Acts 28, 31, boldly and without hindrance, the very last verse of this two-volume set, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a story we become a part of. This is what God's called us to as a church. It's not just about us. It's about the kingdom of God and what God's doing and saying, God, what are you doing in our communities in the world and where do you want us to partner with you to extend that kingdom? So that leads into two powerful questions, two final questions. There you know, she sent the, the final questions. Number one, first question is, are you living on mission? Are you living on mission? As we come to this series, it's what it's been all about, about life uh, on mission. The question is, are you living on mission? Have you caught the vision? You know, a couple weeks ago, uh, you know, this is a season for Christmas parties, right? And so we have one of our largest ministries at Rocky Peak, uh, many of you are part of his first impressions. And it's so big that we have like at least five first impressions Christmas parties for the different departments. And so Lynn and I were able to go to four of them. Uh, the fifth one was on my granddaughter's birthday, and so she won. But, uh, but anyway, we went to four of the five, and one of those was for the cafe uh, team, and just what an amazing team they are, right? So we love our cafe people. We, we love them. They give us whole donuts. They don't piece, cut them up. So uh, anyway, it's, I, I can't tell you how many times that they next step desserts. I love this church. You don't cut up the donuts. You give us the whole thing. And there's no limit. So it's like, yeah, that's our primary evangelism strategy. Um, yeah. Like we, we, we're no holes here. We, uh, so uh, anyway, so um, I, I was talking with this one couple. And they came up. And it was a message two weeks ago on repentance. And they came up, and, and this, this wife came up and said, I just got to tell you, that was pow- this powerful message. Thank you for that. And she said, I just want you to know that your message is getting through. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, this, we've been in this whole series, like, sent, right? And she said, you know, my husband and I, and I know these people. They've been to Israel with us. And, and she mentioned, you know, we, we've always been, like, generous givers. And, and, and you know, so we, we get that. They're, they're follow, solid follow, Christ followers, right? And they've served in areas and all that, and they're serving in cafe and all that. But they said, you know, they, she said, my husband and I have just had a growing sense that we need to be more involved in sharing this message. And we don't really know how, but she said, there's this, here at Rocky Peak, in our, in our, uh, there's a lady that's uh, on our staff, and she, she leads an informal, it's not a formal ministry, but she goes down, uh, it's from our SOMA, our young adult ministry, she goes down to, uh, to Santa Monica about, about once a month, and she takes packets for the homeless, you know, like practical things. And she just shares it and hears her story and prays for them. And she invites people to go with her. And so several people will go down there. So, you know, most of the people that go down are her age, 20-somethings, right? But this couple had heard about that. And the guy was just putting it on their heart. And so they said, hey, would, you know, be okay if, if we came too? And she said, that'd be awesome. I've never had someone that old. But, um, <laughs> you know, that, uh, that'd be awesome. And so they went down. And, and they just had this amazing time of ministry down there. And they said, we, we don't know where God's leading, but there's just a sense that we are to be a sent people. And what does that look like? We, it's not just about us and our thing here, but we want to be out there, you know? And, and so what I want you to catch is not that that's a ministry for everyone here. That's not the point. But you, you catch it. They're catching that vision. It's not about us. It's about those who don't know. And this is what about all service is about. This will be one of our big initiatives. I'll be talking more about this at our encounter in January, but... I mean, God's putting in our heart. This is coming more and more to Rocky Peak. We're going to be out there more and more. We just sense God doing this. And, and, so, and so the question is, are you catching that vision that when you came to Jesus, I want you to catch this. You were, if you're a follower of Jesus, 
I want you to understand who you are, that you have been chosen before time to make a difference. There is a calling on your life. There's a gifting on your life. And that God has called you not just to be part of the community of Jesus and be transformed and love the community. He has called you, that he's gifted you, your time, your gifts, your resources to make an impact that has eternal impact. And can I tell you something? Until you find these places, you will never be fully engaged or fully fulfilled. Because there is nothing like moving in your area of giftedness, whether it's here in our church body, serving here, or it's out in the community, there's nothing as exciting to be on the front lines using your gifts. And many times we look at our lives, we wonder why we're bored, and we're spending all our time on social media, our phones, or whatever. Man, get out where the action is, right? Come out, the water's good, you know? And as we get out there, and God begins to use us. We begin to understand this is what I was created for. I am part of something so much bigger than me. I'm a part of this movement of Jesus that's going to go on forever. So the question I have for you is that are you living on mission? And here's what I want to say. I, I know it's the week before Christmas. I know we're already half drugged out from everything we've eaten, right? <laughs> I know it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse the next couple of weeks. So the cinnamon rolls, the ham, the turkey, you know, it's like we're going to go into this haze in, in, in the next couple of weeks and you're not even going to remember what happens these last couple of weeks, kind of like the old days on drugs. And, and so, uh, <laughs> but can I tell you something? We have a new year coming. And God has some amazing things, both for us as a church and your life, and we want to be ready. So two weeks from today, we're kicking off a new series for the new year, two-week series called Reach. And the idea behind it is as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit's called us to make a difference. He's called us to grow, to become the people we're called to be. He wants to coach us, but growth isn't automatic that we have to reach for the future God has for us. And so we're going to take two weeks to talk about that as we prepare for this new year. And I, I know it's right now you're not ready to reach. You're just looking to die. But <laughs> I want to prepare you now so that you're here for those two weeks as we say, okay, God, what's in my future? And what do you want me to reach for that ring this new year? Now, the second question is, are you embracing the message? And today we've talked about this message of the kingdom, and there's huge implications. So many times when we've talked about in this series, when we think the message is we just believe in Jesus, ask him into our heart, my sins will be forgiven, I go to heaven, that often that leads to a very superficial uh, understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Often it doesn't lead to a true turning of the reality of what we're stepping into. What we've learned in this series is that Jesus is King Jesus. He's the Lord Christ, and so to become a follower of Jesus means we bend the knee. It's the only way in the kingdom. And so the question is, are you responding to that message? Have you surrendered your life to the true king? Are you ready to go on mission? You know, a couple weeks ago, or the last couple weeks, we've talked about Christmas and the season of the year. We've talked about Tim Keller's book, Hidden Christmas, We've talked about Mary, we've talked about Joseph, but as we head in the Christmas season, I want to end up with the story of the Magi. You know, these, these are these incredibly bright guys travel probably a thousand miles from Babylon, searching out the great king that was born. 
They don't know a lot, but they got to show that to them. And so they, they show up and they arrive in Jerusalem, as you may remember, and they go to King Herod and they said, where is the one that's born king of the Jews? Now, if you're the current king and you, you've called yourself the king of the Jews, then you find that a little threatening. And as a result, what does he do? He unleashes his fury, which is very, very much his character from history, and he slaughters 20 to 30 baby boys under two in Bethlehem. There's no room for a king in his life. But what Keller rightly points out is that for all of us, that's the decision that Christmas forces on us. What will we do when the good news comes there's a king of creation? Do we come under his leadership and get revived and renewed and become the people we're created to be? Or do we reject that because we want to call the shots? And he puts it like this there in your note sheet. He said, King, King Herod's reaction to the Christ is, in this sense, a picture of us all. You know, he wanted to kill him. If you want to be king and someone else comes along saying that he is the king, then one of you has to give in. Only one person can sit on an absolute throne. In every heart, then, there's a little King Herod that wants to rule and be threatened and is threatened by anything that may compromise its omnipotence and sovereignty. Each of us wants to be the captain of our own soul, the master of our own fate. The question they asked, where is the true king? That's what they asked. That question is the most disturbing question possible to the human heart, since we all want to remain on the throne of our own lives. But if the Son of God was really born in a manger, then we have lost the right to be in charge of our lives. And that is the message of Acts that the true king of all creation has come. He has come to heal. He has come to save. He has come to release. But the only way to be a part of that kingdom is on our knees. Amen? Let's pray. God, as we come into this Christmas season and we celebrate the coming of the king, God, we want to come under a fresh and a new way, your leadership. We want to ask you to come into our life and receive you, God, and we want to do this not only so we can be changed, not only so we can be healed, but so we could go out and for the sake of the world, God, and share this message, this message of Acts, that the true king has come, the creation of God is coming. There is a way in. There's a way to be forgiven. There's a way to be restored. There is a way to be empowered. There is a way to be released. And there is a way to spend all eternity in this new heavens and new earth with you, growing, changing learning, being part of an incredible future, but it all starts as we surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God, as we worship you now, as we sing about our mission, as we bring our offering, will you meet us in a powerful way? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? That's awesome. I want to welcome you to our first ever uh, bluegrass venue here at Rocky <laughs> Hey, but that is the message, right? It's a message that Luke wants to share, volume one, volume two, that in the backwaters of Bethlehem, a child is born that's going to change the course of human history because it's a fulfillment of the longtime promise of God that one would come, would bring the kingdom of God, restore all of creation in fulfillment to the promise of Abraham, the promises of David, the promise to the prophets. If you've never looked at it, I encourage you this week to read those first, that first chapter or so of Luke. These long songs and prophecies of Zechariah and Elizabeth, of Mary, of Simeon, of Anna, 
and they celebrate this story that God's been telling to the, the nation of Israel that's coming to fulfillment in Christ. The kingdom is coming. God is fulfilling his promise. This is a story we step into. We become followers of Jesus. That there's a child that's been born, and it's our message to tell it, to get, like the prophet Isaiah said, to get up on the mountains and share the glad tidings. We are called on mission, and this is going to be an exciting year for us as together, as followers of Jesus, individually and together, we partner together to unleash a movement of truly passionate Christ followers. And I'm excited. I'm excited about this Christmas Eve as we share the message. I want to encourage you to be here with us. I just found out it's a Christmas miracle. We somehow have now 200 more tickets to the 530. So if you want want a ticket to the 530, you can come anytime. You actually get a ticket on the patio the 5.30. But I want to encourage you. I, I can't tell you much about that service. We need to leave a little bit of mystery. But um, I can promise you it won't be the same online as in person. There's, there's part of it that's going to be something that happens that you just need to be here to see, to fully experience it. But it's going to be a great time to celebrate this message. There was a time when the light of the world came into creation to pursue us. And how he pursues each of us. And we each need that Christmas morning where the light is born in our lives. And so it's going to be a great message for us as believers. And it's a powerful time. But also for non-believers, it's going to be a great intro to the message of Jesus and the change he brings. So encourage you to bring your friends. You've got inside your program those invite cards. Use those cards. We will have out there uh, a booth that will say for... uh, Rocky Peak guests, it's specific for people that you're bringing or that come that have not ever been before. They don't even know you need a ticket. We're saving out some tickets for them so that we can share this and and there's a seat at the table for them. But we'll have the overflow ready if we need it. We won't open unless we have to have it, but we'll try to get everyone in here. But if we do, we've got a great overflow experience planned. I want to remind you as we go, uh, out to the right, to my right, your left, there's prayer teams over here. I'd love to pray with you about anything you need today, have badges on. Secondly, uh, don't forget that two weeks from today, we're kicking off this new series, Reach. Inside your program, you have an invite card. It's for your refrigerator, but even more for someone else. It's the start of a new year is a time when non-believers often say, you know what? It's a new year. Maybe I need to seek God. Maybe I need to go back to church. And they're so much more open. And so we want to create a space for them. And so I want you to be praying over that. Is there someone that God might be calling you to, to invite? Because we're starting the year two new series. The series Reach for two weeks and then a, a new series called Renew for nine weeks. Kind of like our priority series. It's going to be a great series for us, but also for newcomers. And so be praying about that as we unleash a movement. Amen? Amen. Have a fantastic week. I will see you next Saturday night. God bless you. <laughs>